everybody. It is June 14th, the 14th day of June, year 2022. A Tuesday evening, and you have settled in for the, quite frankly, evening edition. And first, the pre-show. I want to thank my sponsors tonight, BlueMonsterPrep.com. Uh, go and this is this is beyond a hobby now. This is beyond a hobby, as if prepping and preparedness and out you know being an outdoorsman or outdoorswoman. That's something that people just enjoyed and they uh, they like learning and and teaching themselves new skills. It is far beyond that, and I think that we are going into necessity. So as I always say, uh, storable food, water filtration, radio communication equipment, anything like that, we are talking about insurance that can really, uh, that you don't have to wait around for a check. You know, somebody smashes into your car, you wait around for Geico to cut you a check a couple of weeks later. This is something that you can cash out yourself, keep on hand or in secure locations that nobody else knows. You want to keep it safe from all the dumbfounded dipshits. That's the real danger after the collapse, the dumbfounded dipshits. But I um, I urge you to go to bluemonsterprep.com. I was telling my uncle about it last night. Hopefully he shows, shows up on the website and gets in touch with Pat and Gina. I said they're unmatched in their customer service and just let them know what you have and what you're looking to do. So use promo code FRANKLY, and, uh, and and by all means, just get into the best promo code you can use is getting in touch with them through email, because they'll know where you're coming from, and you're just going to feel good about yourself talking to such fine and uh, decent people with all the information you need for making the right choices in a sticky situation or to prevent a sticky situation. So BlueMonsterPrep.com, go check them out. Wonderful sponsors I have. And, um, and I also want to thank all of you at home for sponsoring this show through Super Chats and, and through the, uh, the, monthly, the monthly pledges that you can make on Subscribestar or directly through QuiteFrankly.tv. You have always been my biggest and primary sponsor. The sponsors I, uh, uh, between Secret Nature and, and um, Blue Monster, that, that really goes toward staff and... Uh, a lot of the utilities over here and bigger projects that we're trying to cobble together behind the scenes. So you guys make up the lion's share, and thank you so, so very much for all of it. And um, we're going to be reading through your Super Chats tonight, so you can pile them on all throughout the evening and get your thoughts on the record by going to quitefranklysuperchat.com. A lot of people are like, what is the link? I would love to send in some of these Super Chats and have them read on air. Well. I got a URL to forward to it so it's easy to remember. Quite frankly, superchat.com. Jump on it. Even if you're listening to this off air, you can go there right now. You can send in a super chat. I'll see it the next day and I'll read it on air. Especially if you have birthday shout outs to do, anniversary shout outs, if you want to break up with someone, I'll 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 announce a divorce on air. I don't give a shit. It's not my problem. <laughs> Somebody else's problem. No, actually no divorces. No divorces. Okay, don't want anybody... Anything but that. All right, what else do we have? What do we have? What do we have? Um, a returning guest tonight in the form of Velez. 
Velez from Rogue News, roguenews.com. He is as close to an inside man as we've spoken to, with a long history of professional work within and without government departments and affiliates. Can he be trusted? Well, I don't know. Until we figure that out, I'll just keep asking him questions. I'll pepper him with follow-up questions from last night. Last night's discussion with Jason Burmis really got me thinking and got me inspired to want to go down several rabbit holes tonight. And let me just say, on top of everything that I have pulled up in the realm of hacking and aliens and secret government UFO space forces and all that stuff, I also have a headline here that is absolutely horrifying. It's happened in China today, and we've got to talk about it. It was published this morning around 8.04 a.m., and we, we have to talk about this. I'm going to save it until Velez is on. It's important because it's happened. It's happened in a place where you know a lot of our, our uh, civil liberties killing surveillance programs and everything else that has been tested, that has been market tested and designed, at least in part by company, companies like Google, companies and government departments and bureaus that are completely jealous of the social controls that the Chinese have already been rolling out over the last couple of generations. And we know that social credit systems are a part of the future plans for everything. It's not just what Facebook and everybody else wants to implement. It's what's already being rolled out in places, some spots in Europe. We know from all of the supervillains that were at the Bilderberg, well, we don't know too much about what went on Bilderberg this year, but I have to imagine it's not too far off from what was going on in a more public way at Davos. We know what they have in, in store. We know how important AI and tracking and, and what you are doing, your carbon footprint, what it all does as far as raising or diminishing your social rank and your ability to live life fully uh, under, the, um, under the guise and under the, the watchful eye of government, to be able to get a loan, to be able to open up a business, to be able to travel more, to be able to have kids. That'll definitely be something one day. They keep talking about population explosion, but we know that's not the case. Anyway, this headline out of China is, is frightening. It's frightening we knew it was coming, but damn. So I'll do that when Velez comes on. I'll keep you hanging on a hook. All right, here is a headline from the AP about that stupid January 6th panel. It's just a headline. I didn't watch it. If you've been watching it, email me. Tell me what you've noticed so far, aside from that everything is fucking stupid and ridiculous and if it weren't for these uh these uh i don't know these reenactments and these performances and everything else then there'd really be nothing to talk about just like how if it weren't for if it weren't for adam schiff and his 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 puffed his puffy pufferfish face if it weren't for him putting on his james cagney act when he was pretending he was larping the phone call between Trump and Zelensky in 2019, in September of 2019. If it weren't for that, I mean, what, what would there be to the whole first impeachment? Nothing. Nothing. So they're putting on their James Cagney acts again. And here's some of the headlines that we are getting as a result. January 6th panel hears Trump detached from reality in defeat. Donald Trump's closest campaign advisors, top government officials 
and even his family were dis- dismantling his false claims of 2020 election fraud ahead of January 6th, but the defeated president seemed detached from reality and kept clinging to outlandish theories to stay in power, the committee investigating the Capitol attack was told on Monday. Even if that were the case, who cares? Who cares? Even if that were the case, who cares? What does that have to do with, with January 6th? Oh, well, it gives him motive. Well, I mean... All you have to do is play the full clip of him saying, "We're going." I know that some of you are going to make your way over to the Capitol and peacefully letting your voice be heard. They keep cutting all that apart, so you know it sounds like he's sicking dogs on the Capitol. But you know, uh, I guess they're just trying to make motive. But I listen. I wouldn't be surprised if he was righteously indignant. But we know most of his staff were trying to get him out the door and and uh, to be able to put the establishment's four-year nightmare. To, to rest as quickly as possible. We know that. We know that. I mean, P- Patrick Byrne came on the show to tell me what, tell me and uh, and you guys what uh, what he observed in the White House in the lead up to those days. It was just people putting in their resumes, trying to dismiss everything that was very serious. Very serious. The 2020 election was an act of war. It was very serious. Now, this, of course, is all bullshit. But... If President Trump was angry, um, I would chalk it up to righteously indignant. He won in a damn landslide. It is ridiculous that a senile old man destroyed the votes that the first black president was able to garner in 2008 and beat an incumbent president who somehow managed to grow his base by over 10 million more people. It is ridiculous on the face of it, but if you're on that side... You don't care how the hell you got it. You're just going to bask in it. And that's your problem. I mean, we're all going down on the same ship. But it's your problem if you don't know why. Anyway. James Patterson made headlines yesterday. This is from the New York Post. James Patterson, my father-in-law loves his writing. Has read every book he's ever put out. James Patterson says white writers aren't getting work due to racism. Well, duh. I mean, that's, that's not even controversial, but they made it controversial. Writers who, t- who look like James Patterson are having a tough go of it, the 75-year-old author has claimed. Speaking to the Sunday Times this weekend, the crime novelist said that white older male writers aren't getting hired for writing gigs in film, theater, TV, or publishing right now. Claiming the phenomenon is just another form of racism. Of course it is. It's the only form of racism, to be honest. It is a state-sponsored racism. State-sponsored racism. Patterson has sold more than 450 million books across 20 or so titles during his nearly 30-year career, most notably the neo-noir book series following Detective Alex Cross. But listen, this is uh, everybody. Everybody started jumping on him by saying, "Oh, wow! Of course, you, I mean, how how out of touch you have to be? He's so rich. He's been so successful. What does that mean? I don't know what that that could possibly mean. This is just the way it is. And and the the fact that this is so out in the open, and it is openly advertised. They 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 try to de-white." Every space there is, even though the spaces aren't made for white people, there's absolutely nothing, nothing on on merit these days. No, no impetus. 
and no real value put on merit these days. It's all race. It's all ticking and ticking down and counting down to a day that there is no more of a white majority. Uh, This is not coming from our side. Black, white, brown, anybody who is not part of this, this crazy, regressive, Marxist, Bolshevik movement is thinking like this. Nobody. Nobody except these Bolsheviks. Many of them are white. And that's just what's going on. The same, the same thing was put in place in places like South Africa, Zimbabwe. The same program is being run here, but it's just taking a little bit longer because they needed to brainwash a few generations of the majority white population that they needed to, 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 to step aside, kneel down, stop having children, all that. See, in Zimbabwe and in South Africa, they needed to indoctrinate majority black population to attack and to cause civil unrest and, and, and make everything fall apart. In the U.S. and Europe, they needed to convince white people to off themselves. And that's what's happening right now. And if you, if you talk about it, if you talk about it, then you're nuts. I mean, it's openly advertised. Speaking of advertisements... You might have heard about this. Uh, Burger King made a little bit of a, uh, a problem for themselves. They were trying to be really progressive. They're they're trying to to fit in. And Burger King in um, in Austria, I think it's in Austria. They made a uh, a campaign where their burgers were going to be put either top buns or bottom buns together. Because, you know, they're, they're trying to make all the sandwiches homo and, and stuff like that, I, I guess. Anyway, they stepped on it. They, they stepped in it. They stepped in it, I should say. In trying to do the right thing, what they thought was the right thing to fit in. This is from People Magazine. Agency behind Burger King's Australia uh, Austria's Pride Whopper apologizes for same bun campaign. They have to apologize. The Burger King Austria's Pride campaign photo featured burgers with either two sesame seed top buns or two bottom buns rather than one of each. The Austrian uh, uh, advertising agency behind the Burger King Austria's Pride Whopper campaign has apologized following the backlash on social media. On Saturday, agency Jung von Matt Dono, Dono posted an apology to its LinkedIn page acknowledging that the agency did not engage with Austria's queer community enough before launching the Pride. We we should have engaged with the queer community before we launched our new uh, hamburger campaign. You stupid fucks. You deserve to fail. Although this is just going to be turned into just the, they're going to laugh Then everybody's going to go back to eating the Whoppers again. But you stupid, clumsy bastards. Burgers that feature either two Sesame Street, blah, blah, blah. Time to be proud, read the ad. There it is right there. Proud. We've heard your voices and listened carefully. Oh, wow. We've heard you. Like they're God. Listening to the prayers at night. Young von Matt Deneau wrote in LinkedIn, the Pride Whopper is part of our client's engagement as official partner with Vienna Pride. The work is also includes an influencer campaign with proud members of the Austrian LGBTQ community. Catherine J. Stout tweeted this, I'm just obsessed with the same uh, bun Whopper 
promo because straight people saw it and were like, oh, okay, it's like two boys and two girls, I guess. And gay people saw it and were like, two tops and two bottoms? Incredible. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Then there's like, it's on us. We intended it to be blah, 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 and our strongest concern, we offended members, blah, blah. You sick, pathetic burger makers. Bad ones, too. Burger King's like, we were just trying to fit in. We were just trying to fit in. You know, like, different arrangements of meat and buns. You know, like, butts. Like, butts. You get it? Like, butts. But, you know, sex. Am I right? Sex? Hot, hot sex? Ugh, there's a burger, burger company. Burgers. This is, this is the craziness. And this is why it's not going to take too long before us to completely bottom out. And that'll be good because then uh, all of your gender theories are going to have to really, um, they're going to have to turn up some kind of a magical end because you're not going to be able to feed yourself with your stupid theories about what your penis really is. That's going away. That's going away soon. Speaking of going away, did you hear? Did you hear about what's going on with a lot of these Ukrainian refugees that's being that are being uh, just just sprinkled in throughout Western Europe? Uh, in places like Sweden, they're being attacked by all of the Arab refugees that shouldn't be there, and the Arabs are telling the Arabs in Sweden are telling the Ukrainians to 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 go home. This is happening all over the place. It's being seldom reported on. Uh, it's coming out from individuals and and uh, and citizen journalists in places like Sweden. But get a load of that. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely focused on the right things here. Now, listen to this. This is from this is from the National Pulse. You remember we were talking about we were talking about there was going to be robotic parent substitutes for children to read them to read them stories to go to bed and for parents there was going to be AI children to be able to curb depopulation well this just came out right now from the National Pulse and it's pretty serious that was a couple of weeks ago we did those headlines here's one for you transhumanism former government advisor claims one in five babies will be virtual by 2075 so one in five babies won't be real they're not babies but they're getting people, re, they're, they're try, if you can make people believe the things that they're believing and they're talking about and they're giving credence to in places like institutions of higher learning, then of course you're going to find people more so by 2075 if we stay on this trajectory who actually think that babies could be digitized. Virtual children are being proposed as a viable solution to overpopulation, according to a leading authority on, a, on artificial intelligence and a former United Kingdom government advisor. Computer-generated babies that cost around $25 per month, you even have to pay. You have to pay. You have to pay. That is amazing. They convince people to stop having children because they say the world is being overpopulated. They give them digital babies, and they ha they have to pay for them $25 a month. Don't worry. It'll come out of the universal basic income that the companies give you all. should be a credit. You should be able to get a digital baby credit. Um, $25 a month. They're likely to become common phenomenon by the early 2070s, argues uh, Catriona Campbell. 
who advised the British government on the first drafting of its usability and accessibility standards. She claims up to one in five parents will opt for a digital baby. So that means that at least one in five parents are going to be clinically insane, chronically depressed by 2075. If you ever watched AI, if you ever watched AI, the movie AI, artificial intelligence, this is what we're being set up for right now. And that is one of the most depressing films I've ever seen in my life. It's brilliant, but it'll tear your heart out. And once is enough. Really, once is enough. Make no mistake that this development, should, uh, should it need to take place, is a technological game changer, which, if managed correctly, could help us solve some of today's most pressing issues, including overpopulation, explains Campbell. Well, uh, once again, we're not overpopulated. So why are these racists continuing to come down on Africa, the Middle East, and why do they keep importing people from the Middle East and North Africa who have four, five, six children at a time? I don't get it. I don't get it. Because they're 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 psychopaths and they're manipulative and they want to take us all out? Yes. Yes indeed. Uh, I guess lecture at various European institutions and have spoken as some of the world's uh, biggest conferences, Microsoft Global Congress and Media Festival, to name but two, she said. Campbell expects that by 2070, augmented reality and haptic touch-sensitive gloves will make interactions with virtual babies feel lifelike. Nope. No, it won't. Unless you are living in a tube, you have no outside sensory input, and you are unconscious Conscience and conscious and you are completely immersed in some sort of matrix That's the only way that you're you're kept living in a dream If you're awake, there's no way that you can augment reality to make this real You can lie to yourself. You can always do that. All right 717 I have a couple of minutes before we bring on Velez and I want to read something to you before we do so don't go anywhere except onto your socials and letting everybody know that quite frankly is live and I'll see you right back here in a few moments hey you're just mad because I'll be able to do something with my fucking guitar and hands that you'll never be able to achieve in your entire life kid so yeah you're gay You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's rock!
Can you feel that summer breeze? Do you have a summer breeze coming through the window right now? Ah. Hang out on your back porch, on your side porch, on your front porch. Make yourself a nice cold glass of something. Ice water, a little bit of lime, a little bit of lemon, a little bit of mint, whatever it is, make it soothe you. So it is a Tuesday evening and we're gonna be jumping into the deep end tonight. As I love to do, tomorrow is Wednesday. We have more great things happening then when Chris Ann Hall comes on the show. She'll be picking the badass tomorrow night, so I don't have to worry about that. Though I don't worry, we have it all ready to go. So last night, last night we had Jason Burmis on the show, and I wanted to go into NASA and some of the ways that they're making... They're making headway, supposedly, on UFO and all that stuff. $100,000 budget. What what are you going to get with that? A hammer? I don't know. But last night got me in the mood to change it up and dig a little deeper into the weird stuff. So I'm going to get to an article from 2020 that I saved for an evening like this. And it is the story of Gary McKinnon. I don't know if you ever heard of Gary McKinnon, but tonight, tonight you shall. Here you have it. This is from Mysterious Universe. From November 27, 2020, a hacker, aliens, and secret government UFO space force. Just going to leave this up here because we have an insider coming on tonight, Velez, and I definitely want to hear what he has to, think, has to say about Roswell because I got, I got a theory thrown at me last night I've never heard before, and I was like, what? That's right, the genetically engineered children as recoverable bodies theory instead of aliens. Born in 1966, from an early age, Scottish-born Gary McKinnon had been interested in computers, getting his first computer and learning to use it on his own at the age of 14. Later inspired by movies such as War Games and the book The Hacker's Handbook by Hugo Cornwall, McKinnon began to become more and more enthralled with the world of hacking, to the point that he became absolutely obsessed with it. He found himself spending more and more time shirking his duties as a systems administrator for a small business in order to pursue his passion for hacking, and his obsession led him to losing his job. It did not bother him much at the time, as this just allowed him to devote more time to what he really wanted to do. All while he crashed at the house of his girlfriend's aunt in uh, London and delved deeper into what was he was capable of, calling himself by the hacker name Solo. For a while, it was all sort of a hobby, an addictive game for the computer hack of all time, leading McKinnon down a dark rabbit hole of secret military projects, aliens, and UFOs. Well, well, well. There's Gary McKinnon right there. Kind of looks like an alien himself. I think he might be one. Do you think he's an alien? Press one if you think he's an alien. And two, if you don't think he's an alien. I'm pressing one. By the late 1990s, McKinnon had been drawn had been drawn more and more toward looking for evidence of government cover-ups of all kinds and decided to use his hacking skills to look for it. Once saying, I hate conspiracy theories, so I thought I'd find out for myself. He became utterly devoted and further obsessed with his mission, spending all of his time snooping through government and military files and systems, to the point that it absolutely consumed him. Additionally, this was all far from legal. 
He said of his crusade to throw the veil, uh, he said of this crusade to throw the veil off of secrecy. He said this, I'm not blind to criminality, but I was on a moral crusade. I was convinced, and there was good evidence to show that certain secretive parts of the American government intelligence agencies did have access to crashed extraterrestrial technology, which could, in these days, save us in the form of free, clean, pollution-free energy. I thought if someone is holding on to that, that is unconstitutional under American law. I didn't think about all the jail sentences at the time. I'd stopped wa- uh, washing at one point. I just wasn't looking after myself. I wasn't eating properly. I was sitting around the house in my dressing gown doing this all night. According to him, to McKinnon, he was digging up all manner of weirdness on, in the process, and one of the weirdest of these was evidence of what he describes as some sort of secret space force. He stumbled across this while looking into NASA and U.S. Space Command while uh, Space Command files after hearing of a conspiracy theory that they were holding UFOs at the Johnson Space Center. Not content to just discuss conspiracies about it, he began hacking into NASA to see for himself, and it would turn out to be shocking and very weird, McKinnon would say, of this in an interview with Wired. He said, a NASA photographic expert said that there was a Building 8 at Johnson Space Center where they regularly airbrushed out images of UFOs from the high-resolution satellite imaging. I logged on to a uh, logged on to NASA and was able to access this department. They had huge high resolution images stored in their picture files. They had filtered and unfiltered or processed and unprocessed files. My dial up 56k connection was very slow trying to download one of these picture files. As this was happening, I had remote control of their desktop and by adjusting it to 4-bit color and low screen resolution, I was able to briefly see one of these pictures. It was a silvery cigar-shaped object with uh, geodesic, uh, geodesic spheres on either side. There was no visible seams or riveting. There was no reference to the size of the object, and the picture was taken presumably by a satellite looking down on it. The object didn't look um, man-made or anything like that we have created. Because I was using a Java application, I can only get a screenshot of the picture. It did not go into my temporary internet files. At my crowning moment, someone at NASA discovered what I was doing and I was disconnected. I also got access to Excel spreadsheets. One was titled Non-Terrestrial Officers. Non-Terrestrial Officers. Yes, I looked it up and it's nowhere. It doesn't mean little green men. What I think it means is non-Earth-based. I found a list of fleet-to-fleet transfers and a list of ship names. I looked them up. They weren't U.S. Navy ships. What I saw made me believe that they have some kind of spaceship off-planet. It contained names and ranks of U.S. Air Force personnel who are not registered anywhere else. It also contained information about ship-to-ship transfers, but it, I've never seen the names of these ships noted anywhere else. Could that be Solar Warden? What I've read about Solar Warden? I would love to get somebody on, like Nick Hinton, to come on to talk about Solar Warden with me. Oh, here it is. Yeah, it is. McKinnon claims that this space space program is called Solar Warden, in operation since 1980, and every bit bit as bizarre as you might imagine. He said that it acts as a sort of interplanetary border control to protect against aliens that would do us harm, and that it is under control of the U.S. Naval Network and Space Operations Command. 
and through his snooping around, uh, snooping around, he was able to glean a surprising amount of detail on the program. He claims that Solar Warden has at its disposable, eight, uh, disposal eight massive cigar-shaped motherships longer than several football fields, 43 small scout ships, and various other flying objects, as well as advanced beam weaponry, all of it derived from reverse-engineered alien technology tested at secret bases, including the infamous Area 51 in Nevada. It sounds absurd, but McKinnon swears it is true and has never backed down from his story. In addition to Solar Warden, he also uncovered images of UFOs in the atmosphere and various other information on aliens and UFOs, as well as documents called the Disclosure Project, which supposedly contain reams of testimony from high-level sources on the existence of such things and of which he has said the following. There is the Disclosure Project. It's a book with 400 testimonials from everyone from air traffic controllers to those responsible for launching nuclear missiles. Very credible witnesses. They talk about reverse-engineered technology taken from captured or destroyed alien craft. There are some very credible, relied-upon people all saying, yes, there is UFO technology, there is anti-gravity, there is free energy, and it's extraterrestrial in origin, and they've captured spacecraft and reverse-engineered it. Here's the last section here, and then we'll call up. We're making great time. Unfortunately, he was never able to get too far into it, as all this was highly illegal and eventually caught up with him. In 2002, McKinnon was arrested at his flat in Woodgreen, North London, and accused of hacking into 97 U.S. 97 United States military and NASA computers over a 13-month period between February 2001 and March 2002 much of it allegedly causing a lot of damage in the process. For instance, he uh, is accused of altering or deleting critical files from operating systems, rendering important systems inoperable, copying data, uh, account files and passwords, interfering with military operations, compromising sensitive and classified data, and leaving threatening messages. That sounds like Matt. All of which was, according to officials, intentional and calculated to influence and affect the U.S. government by intimidation and coercion. But if he's done all that, where is the proof? Very compelling story, but I'm, I'm, uh, and I, I love listening to it and reading through it. But I, I would, I mean, he did all that. He was, he wasn't able to get any viable screenshots over 13 months or more. That one 13 month period, I, sh- I should say, between 2001 and 2002. Considering that all this happened directly after the 9-11 terrorist attacks, the U.S. government took this very seriously and made aggressive moves to have him extradited to face trial there, something which could mean up to 70 years in prison for McKinnon. So far, these have been endless appeals. There have been endless appeals and judicial reviews, meaning that he has yet to face these charges on American soil and likely never will, although extradition efforts have been ongoing. We are left to wonder just what he really found while breaking all sorts of laws. Did he really see top-secret government files pertaining to aliens and UFOs? And more importantly, did he really uncover evidence of some space force using alien technology? There have been plenty of people and so-called whistleblowers making similar claims. So what are we to make of this? He has not yet provided one shred of concrete evidence, and his detractors have pointed out that he was high on weed most of the time. That just means it was more fun. The hacking. That doesn't mean? What does that mean? He doesn't know what he's talking about. He was high on weed. Obviously, they've never smoked weed before. (laughs) Most of the time he was hacking. So is this all just tall tales? The 
hell is it? Okay, that, that's, that, that's, a stre- that's the biggest stretch in this entire thing. McKinnon is definitely in deep doo-doo with the American government, but whether any of that has anything to do with aliens and UFO space programs remains to be seen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let's get to our guest tonight and just start talking about one thing or another. Now, he has 30 years background in government and commercial firms as a research scientist and program manager with several specialties. Prior federal agencies, including the Department of Defense, Homeland Security, Health and Human Services, and large commercial firms to small businesses, has held a number of security clearances, has held a number of security clearances, uh, where, uh, and holds dual master's degrees and industry licenses, has a show on Rogue News on Fridays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time called V for Velez. He's joining us right now. Velez, how you doing? He's in there with me, sitting around. Wait, why am I muted? That shouldn't be. Velez, you there? I'm here, brother. Jeez, I don't know why I was muted. That's weird. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Glad hey, to be here. Well, let me ask you something. Health, was, health and Human Services. Boy, did you, um, you start off with a heck of heck of a number of topics. <laughs> I know. I know. I have to I also have to remember that since we're doing this on Discord, there is a three to four second kind of like a blind spot in the audio that we might talk over each other a little bit. I'm sorry in advance. No but um, Health and Human Services, uh, were you part of that amazing rollout of Obamacare? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was I was supporting some some of the laboratory operations from kind of a back end IT standpoint. Understood. Now, are you completely out of uh, out of? Oh the, yeah. The government realm. Oh yeah. I uh, for the time being, yes. I'm currently doing some work. Uh, Consulting work and probably heading back into the commercial space maybe in the next two to two to three months. But yeah, I I exited HHS uh, earlier this year. Okay, well, the, oh, so that was the last that was the last department you were with. Yeah, rather rather dramatically, I would I would add because it was I made it very clear it was a vote of no confidence in the agency. Okay, well. Well, I, I, have, I have voted no confidence in that agency a long time ago. I'm glad that you have caught up with us all. Get the hell out of there. Stay. <laughs> put your talents towards, put your talents well, towards radio. Yeah, well, as the, other, as the other old story goes, sometimes being on the inside can tell you things being on the outside can't. So True. That's, that's the other aspect of it. Well, let me ask you this. Have you been watching the J6 committee tap dance extravaganza? Oh God, no, no! I just yeah. totally cannot do that. I don't have enough medication to be able to watch that nonsense. God, you need uppers for that because it's very depressing. You need uppers. I, I wouldn't. Uh... Th- that or that or you need like a BW threes with just a whole bunch of people getting hammered, laughing, laughing themselves silly at what's what's going on with that. Yeah, it, it must be fun watching that if you're a dentist. Uh, you have a lot at your. Uh, you can p- put the laughing gas on. You just watch the J six. Com- Come to my dental office. We're gonna put on the laughing gas and watch the J six committee on ABC. Who? No, no one is paying any attention to that. It's all theater. And what's what's even more like tragic from a political standpoint, you know, is is somebody who used to spend a lot of time in Washington, is the frustration I'm sure certain parties are feeling that you went through all this trouble to get this committee together with these people to have hearings on this topic. And other than the theater that's been produced, it, it will not help them in any way, shape, or form in the midterms. It's only going to alienate people further. I mean, it, it, 
just completely is counterproductive. Hmm. Well, I, I think that you hit it right on the head, and um, we've seen the play the playbook over and over again the last few years. It's really, really exhausting. But since you used the word alienate, let me just break the ice yes. here big time, Bella. <laughs> I want to break the ice here in a big way. Now, I had I had Jason Burmis on last night. It's July is co- July is coming. So, you know, uh July that's that's Roswell anniversary, that's Kenneth Arnold anniversary, uh that's that's Mount Rainier, that's everything that happened in the 1940s that that became known as the Summer of the Saucers and Yep. Jason Burmis and I were talking about aliens, NASA, Operation Paperclip, Annie Jacobson, and it was suggested that the bodies recovered at Roswell were actually genetically engineered human children. And I just wanted to just kick this open and see what you thought about Roswell and uh, and just let you roll on that because I know you have to have something on your mind. Well, yeah. Uh, well, the first thing is, is, is you mentioned July. Uh, I'll, I'll end this tennis match between you and me. Uh, and you mentioned July. Don't forget also Bohemian Grove is coming up this July. Because uh, if we're going to have, you know, uh, the World Economic Forum have a meeting and the Bilderbergers have a meeting and the Aspen Institute have a meeting, we certainly have to have the Bohemian Grove have to have a meeting. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I've caught Jason's program before. He's actually on my playlist on, on YouTube. Um, you know, I catch his stuff periodically. He's he's well-informed. I like, I like a lot of the stuff that he does. Um, I had a little bit of a different take on it. Um, Part of that is for a number of reasons. One is because I used to work for um, research laboratories for the Department of Defense. So part of that universe and working there kind of allows you, when you read other people's books and things, to, to tell, does that make sense or does that sound like the way in which those sorts of things would be done uh, or did somebody somebody go off the reservation? I'll, I'll get into the thing about the, the kids and the experimentation in, in a minute, but... This this topic, and I've I've told my audience this because this this you know, and I I think I mentioned on another show, Frank, that that I'd been at a symposium up in Minnesota back in 2012, hosted by the History Channel, where where Giorgio Tsoukalos and other kind of alternative folks were doing their thing, and I had a chance to actually have a drink with Tsoukalos uh, and Von Daniken as well. I mean, he's they're they're both very funny, they have good sense of humor. Um, but you know, I remember asking Tsoukalos one time, I said, "What really frustrates you?" you know, being on the History Channel and doing this show and stuff. And, and I said, because, you know, I do consulting work and this, that, and the other. I'm always interested, no matter what your line of work is, like what, what works, what doesn't, what, what, where do you need help? And he said, Bigfoot. And I, I go, what do you mean? And he goes, I keep trying to do serious work out there. I know, you know, and he's like, there's this girl, and she's doing his hair and, and like, making it poof out and everything. And he said, I know there's a bit of P.T. Barnum to what I do. But he goes, you know, I'm still trying to, to like, you know, hit, archaeological sites and stuff folks haven't been to yet and, and bring that bring that to public awareness through the show. But he said, you know, the History Channel keeps coming back to me all the time saying, uh, well, we got to do another show on Bigfoot <laughs> because that sells that sells big. We, we move we move a lot of advertising time if, if we've got Bigfoot. So it's kind of the same thing with with the Roswell topic. And I've I've told my audience, whether it's this or the JFK assassination or whatever, and a lot of these things I've I've read a lot into them. I have a little different perspective on on this one because of past work with, with the military and the Air Force specifically. But these, these topics are incredibly complex. And anytime you try and go through the front door, it's, it's just not going to fly. And one of the things that's very critical about this, you were talking about McKinnon earlier. Um, you know, I remember Gary doing his thing back in the 90s. I mean, I was using dial-up back in the 90s, looking at message boards and things. And, and um, 
There's a concept known in IT security circles of which is used in a lot of different things. You'll, you'll hear it used in, in spy lingo about a honeypot. You know, you set up a, a site on a, on a military facility and it's got a wireless transmitter and there's no password. Now, to folks who've never worked on one of these bases, why does this matter? Well, because it's almost impossible to ever get on the Internet at most government facilities. Depends where you are. But even in Washington, D.C., it's not always easy, you know, uh, sometimes your, your system times out and you got to log back into all of these systems with a million passwords and everything else. So periodically new hires or people aren't used to this, they'll, they'll be in one of these facilities and it's like, oh, I found a network and, and I guess the password isn't on right now. Those are honeypots. They do that on purpose because they want you to log in because the next thing that's going to happen in about the next 10 to 15 minutes is military police of whatever service branch is building you're in is going to be standing there looking at you going, why did you just log into that network? They do this all the time. They plant information out there that's, that's kind of crazy. Now, I want to be very careful before I go any further. I'm not throwing out the window the topic of what some friends of mine and I call, call people from out of town. I'm just saying that, that you have an entire machinery whose job it is to fool you when it comes to things like this, much less foreign policy, much less what's going on in the country. They're, they're very good at it. And out of the Air Force, you've got a group called um, the Office of Special Investigations, or OSI. This is basically the Internal Affairs Department of the Air Force. The difference with OSI is they're massive in size compared to the Army or the Navy or the Coast Guard or other branches, and there's a reason for that. Because those are the folks that are in charge of fooling the crap out of the public when it comes to any kind of usually, you know, when, the, when other branches of the military do stuff, it's either in the water or it's on the ground, so there's not as many witnesses. But when the Air Force does stuff, uh, people tend to see things. Right. And so they've had that group operating since the late 40s. I've had some interactions with that group. Um, I offended them at one point uh, because of something else that was going on where they were looking into my department over some things that had happened, and we basically showed them they hadn't done their homework and embarrassed them, and so they got mad. And literally the next thing I knew, one of, one of my coworkers walks in my office, who's, you know, it's the usual story, there's nobody there, and they hand me a document or two and say, hey, what, what do you think about this? And they kind of walk out. And it's two documents showing that the group I'm working with is, is working on memory metal. You know, the supposed stuff that at the crash you could flex it with your hand or whatever and it would, it would re reassume its original shape. Right. And my, my spidey sense immediately went into the red because I thought that this is something weird. So I started looking into it and I later realized and, and had some people basically tell me that they're like, they, they wanted you to get on a website and start posting, hey, I've, I've got internal stuff, uh, you know, from a classified research program that clearly shows that we're doing what, yeah, it's like five seconds after that, I've got handcuffs on and I'm in front of a federal judge. So with McKinnon and others, again, not criticizing, but my gut would tell me and tell all of you that, that for people like Gary and others, the, the the documents they found are a lot of these systems they get themselves into. In a lot of cases, even the agency in question doesn't know that stuff is sitting there. Because it's not it's not meant to be found easily. It's it's in a file somewhere or a server somewhere that nobody really pays any attention to. So a lot of the elements about what Gary discovered reeked to high heaven to me that it was it was a honeypot. And of course, the thing is, is the OSI folks, you know, and this is any of you out there who've heard the phrase Mirage Men or you saw the documentary about that, you know, OSI supposedly has like more psychologists working there than any other military branch out there. And it's because their job is to not only fool the public, 
but to test and tweak out different ways they do things to cause confusion. Now, what's interesting is, is if you look at a very black and white item like the B-2 bombers, we were flying those out of San Diego and other parts of Southern California, right in front of God and everybody, but we did it at night and they didn't have the, um, uh, the port and starboard side, you know, lights on, on the red and green uh, lights flashing or anything else until they got further out over the ocean or whatever. Um, they did that right in a major metropolitan area. So it, it isn't always that I need to have a, a dry lake bed somewhere to be testing these things. Sometimes they can do it right out in front of the public. And there's a number of facilities all across the United States, depending on who it is, that they do this kind of stuff. Now, does it mean that there's no truth to it? Well, that's another matter. And so with, with the topic concerning <laughs> New Mexico, I chuckle because I literally just drove through New Mexico a couple of months ago with a buddy of mine where I said, number one, I want to take a look at what's going on across the country. I know Mike Moore over at True Pundit had done something similar. And, uh, you know, we went through Roswell. We went to the, the museum, picked up a couple T-shirts, uh, went through Dolce, which is supposedly, you know, a big super secret something or others going on up well, there. Well, you know, I, I actually, um, just, not to, just, to, just to interject, I had, I had just had a friend of the show go out there too recently because I got a package, a little care package from Roswell. I have a extraterrestrial highway hat over there on the mantle, plus a little bottle of alien head tequila. So the, I don't, this is nice. Yeah. I mean, it's just a, just a thought. The, the museum actually, it's, it's funny, you know, my, my buddy and I get out, you know, of the car and we're walking towards the museum and I looked at him and I said, boy, hang, hang on to your hats. And he looks at me and he goes, what? And I said, this, this is the uh, pink flamingo, plastic pink flamingo crowd on steroids because, you know, it's all the folks with the RVs and stuff. And it's, you know, the sign out front of the museum is, is the, the uh, Roswell International UFO Museum and Research Center. But in all truthfulness, they, they have a lot of very interesting stuff in there and, and you know, government documents and other, other different stories. And that's what's important about this topic is you've got a lot of different angles on this. So what can, um, you, what can you tell us definitively about it? Are, are we, is, this, is, this, is it intergalactic? Is it interdimensional? Is it all human chicanery? It's, it's all, how do I put this delicately? Uh, <laughs> My my opinion, based on some stuff I used to do, as well as uh, even you know authors like uh, Nick Redfern and a couple other folks that are out there, at least as far as this is concerned, this my take on it. This was a program that had a number of different projects inside of it. I mean, that's what you do when you got to run multiple projects. You 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 build a giant program over top of it, and so, like I said, there's a lot of distractions. So you'll hear somebody say, well, I know somebody who knows somebody who was working at the Air Force Base in 47 and this, that, and the other. And it's like, okay, well, that you've automatically just proven either you were misinformed or you don't know what you're talking about because it wasn't an Air Force Base. The Air Force didn't even exist yet. It was the Army Air Corps is who was running that facility. The other thing is most of the events, as described, didn't take place in Roswell, New Mexico. They took place in, a, in an area called Lincoln County. So this is why, like, for government investigators that are trying to keep an eye on anybody who's poking around things in the wrong direction, you start talking about, well, I was out on the Max Braswell Ranch, it, it, they're going to go back to drinking their coffee. You, you start talking about Lincoln County, or you start talking about the White Sands Missile Test Range, or you start talking about some of the other test ranges out there during those years, or you start talking about the fact that all the safety records, which, by the way, Frank, is a felony, 
you can't, it's a federal felony, you can't not have the safety records for test ranges because of what they do out there. I mean, it's, if a missile goes flying over the wall, they got to be able to track what happened, who got hurt, etc. Those records are all missing from those years. It's just a big black hole. No, nobody, nobody can get to the bottom of, of what the heck's going on out there. Hmm. I mentioned to my audience on, on a show where we kind of delved into this topic where I said one of the things I always appreciate about UFO researchers is they're very non-traditional in their thinking. So one of the, the tactics that that community uh, went down the road of, of using was is instead of filing FOIAs for things like flat out, you know, show me the flight logs like a scene out of A Few Good Men, show me the flight logs between the Roswell uh, Army Airfield and at that time Wright Field, it was not Wright-Patterson, um, they instead started asking questions like, now this will sound a little strange, so bear with me. They started asking questions about, was there an increase in toilet paper to the base? Was there an increase in office supplies? Because if you had a major event take place, well, there's a lot more people working there, and they're going to need more pencils and paper and other supplies and things. The toilet, I actually went to a conference where I heard somebody bring this up, where they said the toilet paper thing, dead serious, they asked about that because they thought if you're dealing with something that's, that's otherworldly, I'm pretty sure a lot of grown adults are going to be hitting the bathroom because it's like, oh my God, yeah. I can't, I can't contain myself with with what I just saw. It's pretty interesting. Um, but the take the take on it is is about what happened. Um, they were working on a couple of things. The first is is that well, and this is very important. If you go to Foreign Affairs magazine or Foreign Policy Review, and yes, I realize some of those magazines are produced by quote unquote the enemy, you know, Council on Foreign Relations and similar groups. Um, but in the in the international affairs community, it's it's been a, a fairly known thing, but it's not something you hear in most college classes. It's certainly not anything anybody talks about in high school. When the war ended in '45, uh, or even a few months before, and everybody is starting thinking about, okay, what's the world going to look like? Eventually, Japan's going to surrender. Germany's already surrendered. Uh, it's us and the Soviet Union. How are we going to deal with this? The main thing on everybody's mind in the United States. In the, at the State Department level and at, at what in today's world we would call think tanks and similar, the only thing that was on their mind was, and this is no joke, we can't ever again have another Pearl Harbor. Because if somebody attacks us again with a first strike like that, they'll, they'll not make the mistakes the Japanese made. Now, not to armchair quarterback, but, you know, Japan did not hit the repair facilities that were right near the harbors. They did not hit the aircraft carriers, which really were one of their primary targets. And they did not, more, most importantly of all, they did not hit the fuel depots that were there on the island. Uh, all of our fuel in the Pacific, every drop of it, was in Hawaii. Now, the Japanese third wave was supposed to hit it, but the Japanese commanders were concerned about a counter uh, counterattack because they didn't know where our, our aircraft carriers were. So all the big brains were kicking around in late 44, early 45. What does the world look like after World War II? And the only concern that existed was the United States must adopt a first strike position. Now, you look at anything in government, you talk to anybody who does that stuff, you, you, all, the, all the big folks who publish the big papers and stuff, they would, they would lose their mind. You, you can't say that. No, that's not true. No, it is true. It is true because I, I worked with these guys for years, and I've I've you know, and the funny thing is, is <laughs> I've gone to trade shows, if you could call it that, or defense shows, where there are military technology development historians. That's an actual thing. That's a job title. You can go look that up. There are folks whose job it is to track all the history inside our military and defense and foreign policy sectors, for the practical reason we don't want to forget where we've been and how we got here. 
But what was what was our actual foreign policy in those years? That we will strike first. So how are we going to strike first? Well, given the technology available at the time, we needed a really big bomber. And the B-29 wasn't going to cut it. So what did we do? We made a really large B-29 called the B-36. Now, you'll see in the public domain documentation that talks about the B-36 was going to be nuclear-powered and this, that, and the other, and that was through a group known as NEPA, N-E-P-A, the Nuclear Energy for Propulsion Aircraft Program. But that's what that was about, was they, you know, what was the program? Well, the program was we need high-altitude ejection seats, so we're going to reverse-engineer what the Germans were working on because the Germans had some really killer ejection seats before the war was over because we're going to need ejection seats that work at higher altitudes than are traditionally used which means I need a place where there's not a lot of people, you know, somewhere in the southwest perhaps, where we can run these types of tests. And we're going to need weighted down, um, simulated like dummies that can be punched out of aircraft that are being, or, or pla- you know, <laughs> they call it platforms. But, I mean, that's just basically a big heavy thing that you take up into the air. But the other thing they used, there's no other way to say it, they used cadavers. And so... We need a high-altitude ejection seat system, number one. We need a high-altitude aircraft, which means we aren't flying at 18,000 feet anymore like a, like a B-17. We're not flying at roughly 30,000 feet. You know, they're, they're flying. They were working on incrementally higher and higher aircraft platforms of things that we take for granted in today's world where, like, on a commercial airline flight, you might even be flying at 40,000 feet. They were trying to figure out 50, 60, 70,000 feet. The other thing, too, was B-29 pilots were reporting weird sunburns and stuff they, that other pilots hadn't experienced before. Why? Well, they're flying at higher altitude and thinner air. So we were starting to figure out more and more about, oh, the higher up we get, the weaker the atmosphere gets, the more the pilots are exposed. So they started working on things like very large contact lenses or curved lenses that fit over the eye to reflect a a nuclear flash. And in part, it's one of the many aspects of that story. This is where the thing comes about where something crashed. I've got people wearing kind of loose-fitting uniforms or no clothing at all. Uh, They're disoriented. Uh, they're making weird squeaking or screaming noises, and they've got these black thing. You know, they've big bulbous head and and you know the the big black eye thing. So, are you saying are you the, are you saying that there is a chance that all of the 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 crash slash recovery stories coming from the Roswell area, Lincoln County, what the Roswell, whatever that has come out to be known as, that it could also just be that there were we were testing bigger planes, ejection seats. And that cadavers were being just spewed out, and people were somehow, uh, I don't know, mi- mistaking big helmets and, and, and eyeglasses as, as actual alien creatures? How can they not just see the dead body with eyeglasses on? Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, even in the quote-unquote you know, alien autopsy film, there's a scene in there where one of the doctors is peeling a black material off the eye of the subject now i'm not going <laughs> i'm not going within 100 miles of that of that film i've heard some stories about what that probably was um but the point is is that the the importance of that scene is that things like that were technologies that were being worked on we would call them in today's world contact lenses but it was coverings over the eyes that might prove to be helpful for pilots now from what i've read 
and you know from some of the stuff I used to do the program was abandoned because it was causing too much eye irritation in the pilots and it was just better to use goggles hmm. the other thing though that is the darker aspect of this it, it gets back into what uh, Burmas was talking about yesterday with the bioweapons research labs the Japanese had 731 unit 100 unit 516 all these others You'll often see, even on Wikipedia, stories that say, well, these labs are working on chemical weapons or whatever. <laughs> they, they were working on biological weapons. And this is, this is one of those backstories that you talk to the right people internationally and they'll tell you, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we, know, we know what that was really about. But the history books don't, don't record it. Japan was very close to developing biological weapons that attack specific races. And that was considered <laughs> almost bigger than a nuclear weapon. And so we got a hold of it. We brought, uh, it wasn't really paperclip per se, but it was a paperclip-like program, and that's often been forgotten. And I think I brought this up on another show with you. I'm not sure. But the net-net is, is you always hear people, well, the Germans, the Germans, the Germans, the Germans. It's like, yeah, Germany built, you know, I worked in a lab that, that originally was, was designated to work on reverse engineering stuff the Germans had at the end of the war. Um, they they came up with some pretty pretty clever stuff, but the aspect of World War II nobody ever talks about by design. Please please insert the Mirage Man again. Is what was really going on with Japan? They'll they'll protect that with their lives because it's like they don't. I saw the documentary recently about the two big giant Japanese submarines that sailed right at the end of the war that were going to launch a strike on on the Panama Canal. Now, we'll get back to that in a moment, but that, that is completely bogus. That's not what, what was going on there. The, the Japanese researchers were experimenting on Chinese, Mongolians, Westerners they captured at um, Hong Kong and other British holdings, and ethnic Russians. And by the way, Frank, this is one of the reasons why, like what's going on in Ukraine right now, a thread of that is... Trust me, Russian government officials always get really twitchy when they start hearing somebody is, is experimenting on Eastern Europeans because that's not the first time that's happened. Well, the first thing you said, so, the first thing uh, I, I thought of was, wow, 80 years later for anybody to be denying that it's even possible that anybody can set out with an objective to find a, a, uh, a germ or a virus or anything that could be engineered to only target a specific type of uh, ethnic group is just it's just ridiculous especially since we we've we've heard them we've heard uh talks at west point get even more specific than just ethnic groups as far as what can be done with uh biological assassinations yeah and i can't you know outside my area of, of background on that last part but i wouldn't doubt it and and again this is this is a really touchy topic i mean it really really is i mean one of the guys I used to work with, and, and we went to one of the, the AFSIA industry events, and, and we were talking about this topic, and, you know, they made a comment to me where they said, this is like in five layers, you know. The first thing about anything in the, you know, general New Mexico area in the 40s is, um, well, we were, we were testing high-altitude uh, parachutes, and, of course, we all know that that, that program came much later. Oh, okay, okay, fine, you got us. We were working on, uh, you know, giant reflectors to pick up whether or not the Soviet Union was testing nuclear bombs. Uh, not to be indelicate, but you guys weren't looking for the Soviet Union to have nuclear bombs until after they already detonated one. That's why everybody was in such shock when the Soviet Union detonated a nuclear bomb. We, we, we weren't monitoring for it. We weren't even expecting them to build one for another 10 to 15 years. 
So as you go through each of these layers, you've got these, these cover stories that are meant to distract and deflect, but also to act as like a tripwire. But, if but, you suddenly start talking about a certain topic, you, you, you know, certain parties are aware you're getting too close to the truth and they need to pop by and maybe pay you a visit. Well, then, Velas, let, let me ask, first of all, then, there's two, two questions. Number one is if, uh, then again, if they were just merely testing uh, ejection seats and all that stuff like that for, I mean, why, why have to to say swamp gas, why weather balloons, why all that stuff, when you would expect the military in the desert to be testing ejection seats, there's nothing really, there's nothing really, uh, uh, I don't know, controversial about that or, or, or crazy. I mean, they had, the, the American public already knew they were testing the atomic bomb out there. So when it comes to alien crashes and all of the, or sub, alleged alien crashes and all of the reasons, um, all of the the cover stories that were put out there why the hell even cover it up at all if if it's really just what you say it is right it, it's it's a good question and i'll answer it because that wasn't the entire scope of the program the other aspects of the program were and and this data point is in the public domain now has been maybe the last 10 years the b-36 was supposed to be nuclear powered the problem was Nobody really understood how nuclear power worked. We didn't, not like now, and even now we still make mistakes, but how much shielding is enough? How much protection do the pilots need? Do the bombs leak? Do, do nuclear weapons behave differently at high altitude than they do on the ground? Now, today, in today's world, that may not sound like a big deal. 1945, nobody had any damn idea. I mean, the other thing, too, is Fat Man and, and Tall Boy when we detonated those over Hiroshima and Nagasaki. If you read, if you read the notes and the diaries of the, of the technicians working on those bombs, as well as a number of books that have since come out, they were expecting one of them not to detonate. I mean, even, even the Nagasaki bomb, by nuclear bomb standards, was considered a dud. It was only destructive because the blast wave hit the nearby mountain range and came back across the city of Nagasaki. It did not detonate at the level it was supposed to. But, you know, we're dealing with nuclear bombs here, so it's like, well, I'm pretty sure you still hit the target. There were other aspects of this, including biological research. Because, again, back to the point I was trying to start off with about why. Why, why so much effort? Why so much uh, discretion? Why so much kind of keeping this under, under wraps? Why building such, such interwoven narratives? Because there was a lot of bad crap that went on while these programs were running to test the nuclear energy aspect. Well, you know, depending on who you talk to and what author's work you read, uh, now I never saw anything in my, in my work that specifically spoke to this topic, but there's a number of other people that have researched it quite thoroughly, mm. Nick Redfern among them. And that is, there are groups in New Zealand and Australia and the United States who for years have been going through missing people's records, especially from various institutions in those years, trying to find people who had mental issues, if you will, and whose families were oftentimes, you know, wealthy East Coast family where it's like, well, it's like the tuberculosis thing. Just take care of my loved one, but I know they're not going to make it kind of thing. And there's, the numbers are like in the hundreds, if not thousands of missing people. And there are questions being asked in today's world. I don't have the answer to that. But there are questions being asked in today's world. Were those people used as part of nuclear bomb tests? Were those people used as part of testing some of these nuclear power plants that were being developed? And when I say power plant, you know, you mentioned NASA a moment ago. 
you know, some of the stuff NASA uses, strangely enough, we got from the Russians, which are just small little boxes that it just allows plutonium to decay in such a way that it develops energy. It doesn't necessarily need to be a very complex system. But in the early days, I mean, if you've ever heard of the story called Tickling the Dragon, where when we used to put nuclear bombs together, you, have to, you had to kind of balance the sphere inside the plutonium sphere in which it went. And there was a famous accident where the guy's hand slipped and he got killed and half the people in the room, you know, their hair fell out and they all got very sick and everything. We, we, we were literally doing this stuff manually. Nobody had any idea what the heck they were doing. And so the fear of another Pearl Harbor was enough to pump enough money into these programs, at least until, depending on who you talk to and what resources you look at, like the mid-1950s. Well, I have to say, I have to, going say on. I have to say that, it, you know, it is a lot, it, it is very interesting to learn some of these uh these backstories, and obviously, uh, I do not doubt that this is the this is the way that government and militaries and and any other any other outsourced projects of of the nature of that nature are going to be constantly working in concert with each other as time goes on. While we're all living our lives, this is always happening. As far as this particular where this this the uh, this particular conversation began, I just I still don't see how that. That could become the cultural phenomenon that it did right now. I mean, residents, residents uh, threatened into silence from government agents and military men alike didn't bear witness to nuclear power bombers flying overhead. It was, uh, it was, it was bodies. It was uh, smoking debris. When once again, all you got to say is we're testing new, new flight uh, mechanisms, and something went wrong. And tragically, I mean, everybody would mourn for a little while. It'd be a headline, and instead they committed to weather balloons and all that other nonsense. Anyway, let me just conclude real quick in a nutshell question for you no less than 10 second response is it <laughs> intergalactic interdimensional or are we all alone on this rock if you're talking beyond the roswell topic i'm sure there are others out there but as far as this this particular topic is concerned no 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 you know, big, from everything big, that's big, out there it was it was research okay research so then big picture have we been visited by interdimensional intergalactic or nobody I don't know. Okay. I don't know. My my own opinion on my own show, uh, in fact, I got another uh, uh, installment of this topic coming up this Friday. I, I think you could make a very serious argument that, that the civilizations that were here before the last Ice Age either survived or elements of them survived, and a lot of what we're witnessing is is them. You ever talk to anybody that, uh, that worked at the Montauk Project, people like Preston Nichols or... That, you know, any any of those later iterations of the Philadelphia experiment? No, although I've always been interested by the Philadelphia experiment. The the folks I dealt with were like the folks known as Watson's Wizards, Colonel Watson, uh, the test pilot who tested a lot of the, the former Japanese and German aircraft that the Air Force was testing at the end of the war. Watson was involved in Project Grudge, uh, Project Sign, a lot of the other, uh, and then eventually... Uh, would call it the blue book project and things like that but i dug into this more from the aspect of what did i personally see and work with as it came to both classified and non-classified research that the government does how they do it the way in which they do it and then going back and looking at both various authors on this topic as well as public domain information as well as just going to conferences and talking to people and those conferences in some cases being other other federal people who are developing things like this 
and that's how I've assembled the data uh, that I have I have on this topic. The other thing we didn't get to, Frank, is a number of the people that supposedly were used in these experimentations were folks who suffer from hydrocephalus. And if you've ever looked at a photo of a person who has that condition, especially if it's not corrected when they're very young, the uh, you know because you just had a daughter yourself, the the skull is still movable to a degree at that age. It hasn't completely sealed yet, and the upper part of the of the head becomes enlarged. Uh, the eyes become either smaller or larger, as the case may be. There was some reason I don't know why. There was some reason why the Japanese bioweapons folks in Asia uh, were were intentionally looking for people who suffered from hydrocephalus. There was something about that condition that enabled the biological weapons testing uh, to be more effective, most probably due to a, a greatly reduced immune system and its effectiveness no different than, than certain animals that are bred specifically by the Department of Defense for bioweapons uh, testing. Mm. But you can also, another explanation of, of a lot of the detail around the crashes and things is this this thing about the the hydrocephalus angle? Well, I mean that's uh, that's that's something I've never heard before, and that's equally disturbing. Then again, everything I've ever read about Unit Seven Thirty One is is the worst of the worst to ever come out of World War Two. I mean the 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 barbarism is is unmatched by the Japanese, and like you said, it's very seldom told. And um, I mean uh, the only other the only other worst thing I've, I've ever read coming out of the war or the quickly right after the post-war period, especially behind the Iron Curtain, was the, uh, the Pitesti experiments. You ever read those? That was, um, you ever read no, about okay, that? No, I don't think of. Horrific, horrific. We can talk about that some other night. But um, uh, let me. Well, the other, thing, the other thing, too, about those Japanese units to keep in mind is, is that when we were conducting the war crimes trials in Japan, uh, all of the medical personnel uh, we got most of them uh, in either they fled back to Japan before the before the war ended. The Russians got Soviet Union got some of them, but we went to them and offered them the same deal that the Germans were offered under paperclip, which was we need you to come to the United States or or friendly allied governments, Australia, New Zealand, Britain, etc. But the vast majority of them came to the United States. And the thing that always blows my mind is is one of the top medical researchers. He eventually ended up at UCLA's medical department. Hmm. And, and worked there for a number of years and then went back to Japan until, I don't know, I think 10 years or so ago, the guy was working at Tokyo General. And, you know, we just we just got out a big paintbrush and, and whitewashed over the whole thing. I You know, again, there's a lot of different takes on this topic, and I always welcome that, you know, whether folks want to want to take issue with, with the, the angle I'm offering here or other folks that are doing this. Um, you know, I've gone I've gone to some of these conferences, which I find interesting because there's some very creative people, and it's it's interesting to watch folks that are into topic matter that most folks are like, how how could there be an argument about different breeds of Bigfoot? And it's like, look, man, just have another beer. That's their thing. Let's just hear out what they what they've got to say. Um, it's like the researchers that are digging into this topic by saying, okay, uh, I want to see the personnel reports. Uh, I want to see who got promoted. I want to see how many supplies the base was using. Because if anything weird was going on, you would, you know, you would have increased the amount of supplies you're using. It's a very creative way of tackling tackling the problem. Yes, yes, so it is. So I was, you know, it's like alternative archaeology. I'm always welcoming other people's perspectives. I may or may not agree, but I'm more than happy to hear out what they've got to say. The the only caveat as far as is what I'm discussing with you today is. I did work for research labs in the Department of Defense space. I did work for federal agencies, and I, I am familiar with, with, and obviously with some time with HHS. 
I've seen, including the evils of HHS, um, I've seen how these types of research projects take place. And I've seen and heard various mumblings and rumors from people over the years about, well, I always heard that was about this or whatever. Many of those things that went on at the end of World War II were born of our national paranoia and our need to enable a first strike capability. I've always felt that okay. that kind of thinking is what led to the to John F. Kennedy realizing, my God, these guys are crazy. You know, whether it was Cuba or other things. So well, let me let me. There's a there's a strong reason why they don't want any of this discussed. Let, let me let me switch topics and just use the, that 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 uh, point of paranoia on the uh, as a little bit of a segue because I want to hit up at least one more topic in a contemporary sense of you know we were speaking sure. of secret projects and installations and uh, you know Bohemian groves and summits and Bilderberg Davos all that stuff one and especially when you talk about those people we talk about technology that has been developed largely in secret slowly starting to be introduced, warmed up, massaged into the public consciousness. AI is definitely a huge thing about that, a, a huge part of all of that stuff, and it's going to be married with everything. Uh, the chips in, in our arms that track us to see where we're going from place to place, uh, how it, it connects us to our ability to travel, to bank, to seek medical help, to, I mean, everything. Social credit score, we were talking about it all. Now, here's a, uh, I want to go to um, today, what came out of China. This headline, Velez, please let me know what you think about this. Here's a headline. China bank protest, a bank protest stopped by health codes turning red. Depositors say a protest planned by hundreds of bank depositors in central China seeking access to their frozen funds has been thwarted because the authorities have turned their health code apps red. Several depositors told Reuters the depositors were planning to travel to the central province of Henan uh, this week from across China to protest against an almost two-month block on accessing at least $178 million of deposits, which has left companies unable to pay workers and and individuals unable to access savings. Rights groups have warned China could use its vast COVID surveillance infrastructure to stifle dissent. Without a green code on their smartphone app, citizens lose access to public transport spaces uh, and spaces such as restaurants and malls, as well as the right to travel across the country. They're putting, uh, here's a quote, they're putting digital handcuffs on us at a depositor from Sichuan province, uh, surnamed Chen who declined to use his full name for fear of government retribution. This is in China. We expect it to be in China, but we know that so much of the same people, the same types of authoritarian, uh, full-spectrum dominance freaks in the West, they are jealous of China's social controls. And here you have it right now. I know that in places like France and other uh, Western countries, if you're not up with your passports, if something else is in uh, is in default or is not uh, current, that you lose access to one thing or another. But this is this is huge. I mean, to be able to shut down dissent by immediately saying everybody is in the red with their um, with their health passes. If you think that that's not going to be imported into the West, this was a really really uh, creepy and uh, f- frightening headline. If I'm going to be frank. <laughs> well, you know, this is what you can do with a social credit system. 
Um, you know, and this the other thing about this too is is it's a it's an education for uh, a lot of people in the West, especially the United States and Canada, that that China's gotten to this level that if you're there's even articles that have been out there about Chinese citizens who didn't do anything wrong, but they just there was a glitch, and they were identified as having said something online they shouldn't have. But if you're not constantly maintaining your score in the green or in a positive, you know, area, they can take away your ability to get on a train. They can take away your ability to travel by by plane. They can take away your ability to leave your house. So the you know factor that with the the you know Chinese government propensity, which goes goes back hundreds of years about never being embarrassed about anything. Uh, if they've got banks in trouble or, or other citizens that are trying to get their hands on their money, I could easily see uh, them flipping the switch and just saying, well, you're all in the red right now and you can't leave your houses uh, to, keep people from, to keep people from showing up. But yeah, the, this, this capability, if it, if it keeps going in the direction it's going, it's, you know, Catherine Austin Fitz talks about it all the time. It, it will enable a level of control that, that most Westerners can't even get their heads around. That's the, that's the first person I thought of when I saw this headline. If, I, I, if, I, if there's anyone I wish I had an open line to, uh, <laughs> to talk about this in particular, I was thinking Catherine Austin Fitz. This is so incredible, and it's with everything else going on. Um, you know, and one last thing here, uh, Velas, before we go, because I have a few other items to get to before we uh, before we wrap up tonight. But this is just always so compelling when we speak with you. Um, we can talk about new world order all day, but there is no new world order without digital currency. And right now, everything is getting beat up: the deflating stock market, the cryptocurrencies crashing. What's your take on crypto right now? We know that that, that they are positioning us in a place where we are going to be transitioned into a cashless society. Of course, they're going to try to dictate what that currency that is going to uh, be the new main is. But uh, what do you think right now, uh, what this is all about and how bad it's going to get? I'll channel my colleague V, who just on on today's Rogue News show went went <laughs> he went he went off. Um, he he was on fuego. He was completely on fire on that one. But I mean that's that's his area, and he's closer to it. You know, the net of what he said was is that um, everybody out there is chasing margin, uh, profit margin. They're not able to find it. Uh, there, a lot of the big banks, a lot of the financial institutions are trying to use crypto along with commodities to bolster their books. And it was V's position, and I agree with him, that um, this is going to be to usher in more regulation around digital currencies because the digital currencies, and, and Fitz has said this. There's a lot of folks who've got different takes on this. You know, you know, Catherine Austin Fitz said this is, a, this is a danger to their system, whether it's Bitcoin or other, you know, Ethereum, whatever it might be. There are other folks who have made statements that they said they felt that, that crypto day one was just, you know, the World Economic Forum and, and other bodies out there testing out and working the bugs out of a digital currency before they themselves rolled one out. I don't know the answer. But yeah, we're I, I would say that that crypto and things like that are going to to go through unbelievable upheavals. It doesn't mean it's gonna end per se. It it may, I I don't know. But we're on a much bigger level. We we've got economic things coming I mean, I know you've had folks on your show, Frank. I know we've been talking about on Rogue, you know, many of our Rogue folks, not just myself. Um, man, there's there's stuff coming down the river 
<laughs> oh my god i mean i joke with my audience it's like you got to keep a sense of humor about this because because you know and and to our earlier topic uh they may pull the alien spacecraft out of the hangar and drop that one on the white house lawn just to distract us long enough to keep keep this stuff going you you just don't know but um the midterms uh, at least in the case of the United States, is is a huge part of this. Now, I know folks who get into the dynamic of Democrat and Republican. I wouldn't pay attention to that. But there's a lot of entrenched politicians, we'll, we'll use that language, who may be out of a job come this fall. And that, that does scare powerful people, especially at the local level. Wow. So, you know, the comment I've made to my audience is, is, is you're, you just need to be open-minded that in the next six to eight months, you're going to see the likes, the, the kind of crap you can't even imagine. Well, Velez, I uh, I appreciate this call. I pre- you you are live on Friday mornings at eleven a.m. on RogueNews.com. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Well, I I'm I hope everybody goes and tunes in and interacts with you in the chat room. It's always great to have you on. Uh, we we got to do more of these these deep dives and these these hidden history episodes. It's it's really a wonderful time for me, and I really appreciate it. I I can't wait to see some of the feedback and and everything else that comes in afterwards. Anything else you want to leave people with? No, I'm good. I, I appreciate it as always a chance uh, to come on, and, and I've been laughing the last two days about your supervillains uh, comment. I kept getting visions of the Legion of Doom with yeah, the burgers. Yeah, that's what it is. But, uh, yeah, I uh, I uh, very much appreciate the chance to come back, and, and uh, as always, you know, we at Rogue support the work you're doing on your show. Well, I appreciate it. I, I, like, I, like, seeing, I like seeing how you guys, like many other people, have uh, have found partners that you can you can trust and vibe with and grow something new something fresh something that's independent and I I just love this new budding generation of talk programming whether it be political or uh, you know cultural entertainment it just it's just a great thing it's a great thing to see happening all around me and uh, it's a wonderful time having you on tonight Velez and thanks again we'll do it again. Thanks, sir. Have a good one. All right. Be well. Ladies and gentlemen, go check them out on Fridays, 11 a.m. on roguenews.com. And the rest of them, too. CJ, V. They have a good time, and they've always been very nice to me. Always been very nice. All right. We're going to go on a really quick break, ladies and gentlemen. It's so important, I was just talking about it, to support independent media that you enjoy, that you get a lot out of, because that's it. There's no old folks home. There's nothing like that. Nothing at all. So the bare minimum, give this episode a nice thumbs up. Share it. Give the episode, give quite frankly, a five stars on on iTunes, a nice review on Spotify. You can find everything that there is to this show and its larger network on quitefrankly.tv, especially on the Sponsor Us page where you can weigh out all of your options for contributing to the bottom line. I have spots open for Pen Pal still on Subscribestar, Postcard, sponsors. We've expanded those so we can do more of them, actually. Polaroid sponsors and much more. Get the Subscribestar, and um, you can also subscribe monthly right through quitefrankly.tv. And don't worry if the specialty tiers are all sold out and stuff. Everyone gets priority messaging and weekly invites to the unlisted Sunday streams. We all get together on Sundays, have a great time. And don't forget the merchandise. That's all there, too. The P.O. box is listed on the Sponsor Us page. I just got a, a load of wonderful things sent to me, T-shirts and all that. I'll have new things to wear on the show soon. People always sending me nice stuff. 
So thank you to the sexiest chat rooms on the internet. Sexy. Very. If you don't deny your sexiness, you cannot do it. I have seen you in all of your splendor. And there's no going back now. Be right back. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Yeah. Quite frankly, in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly, you're going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? So, how did everybody enjoy themselves? Man, so, uh, that, what are you more inclined to want to believe? I think, I don't know, I don't know, I like Velez, but between, between the ejection, the corpse ejection, I, I, do, I do not doubt that they're using cadavers to test you know, um, ejection seats. I just do not see how that would cause the kind of the kind of stink that the Roswell story eventually became. With the the civilians that were silenced, some of them disappeared. I just I, I don't see that. I don't see it at all. It uh, the the Russian slash Operation Paperclip genetically engineered children prank angle that Jason Burmis came up with me uh, came up with me last night was that was a little bit more compelling I can see that a little bit more but um, but yeah let's get into some super chats then I want to take some calls 
8.26 p.m. We can do this. On quitefranklysuperchat.com. Quitefranklysuperchat.com. Let's see. What is... What's being populated there? I'm getting a spinning wheel. Spinning wheel. Okay, we'll go to Rockfin in the meantime. Thank you, Todd Fife, for the wonderful tip on Rockfin. And to selling the farm on Rumble. We need Badass Musicians Month. An entire month for badass musicians. Yeah, I guess we can go there. Didn't think about that. Three minutes ago, Stostube says, Good Tuesday, Frank. Great guests always. I'm happy that you guys are enjoying yourself out there in Massachusetts, Stostube. Thank you. And I was able to offer up cigars to uh, a few of my buddies over the weekend as we had our steak, our steak barbecue grilling action. It was awesome. And I had plenty of cigars to offer because of the wonderful Stostube. Thank you. Genuine Patriot says, Hi, Frank. Have you heard... Have you heard of Alfredo Luna from Alpha Warriors, Alpha Warrior Show? His story is a horrifying example of just how corrupt and out of control the FBI and government in general are. Check him out when you have a chance. He would be a great guest. Well, send me his link through email if you can, Genuine Patriot, so I don't forget it. I don't forget to look for him. Sandy Smiles says, thanks for all the great shows and guests you bring to all of us. I'm hoping you can give a 25th birthday shout-out to my son, Dylan. Dylan! Blessings to you and your family, Frank. Well, happy 25th birthday, Dylan. I remember my 25th birthday. It was actually a pretty cool night. I had a really great time that night, and I'll always remember it. And I hope that you have a wonderful 25th. Soak it up, my friend. Dylan. 25-year-old Dylan, son of Sandy Smiles. Love reading stuff like that. Okay, all right, on to Foxhole. Thank you, Sean Joe. River Pike says, love your perspective, Frank. God bless you, my friend. Thank you, River. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anita BJ. Anita BJ sent over a cookie. Very nice of Anita. And the whole BJ family. Frank Staint, thank you for the cookie again. WitchyPoo22 says cookie fight. Thank you, Frank. Blessings to you and your family, says River again. Oki7, WitchyPoo, just because. Thank you, Bob Robert Sarns. EO says, after a week away, your voice is music to my ears. Hope you and the fam are well, Frank. I, I'm doing okay. And they are, uh, they are too. Thank you, EO. Um... I think my my stepfather Skip, he will be coming home very soon. Um, the turnaround was that he still needs to sue. I hope that he can find himself a uh, competent lawyer to sue the hell out of the uh, the 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 Yale New Haven uh, hospital system. That's for sure. But um, he has he turned a corner so quick. There were a few horrible nights that we thought we were going to lose him. I mean, there was one night, it was last Thursday, I got home and just about to s sit in for uh, for dinner, and that didn't happen because uh, he was pretty much saying his goodbyes. He was in so much pain. 
That was a bad. I, I'm on the I'm on the phone with hospitals and 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 uh, incompetent nursing staffs. I finally found a nurse practitioner that was was very helpful. That was like around 11:30 p.m. A lot of time on the phone, a lot of time praying, and I know a lot of people out there prayed as well. And the day after that, like that Friday, it was just whatever the hell, whatever the infection was, whatever was going on, it just stopped. Agony. He was in agony for for two weeks. I didn't know how his heart could take it. Just just from everything, dehydration, everything. So um, that's been turned around, and now he's uh, he's got a long path. He's got a lot of work to do for himself to get his life back in order. Um, but but still, I want to thank you all, and I'm sure he would. I'm speaking for him too, and I thank you all for all the thoughts and prayers. Uh, you, you know what? You, you're obviously very magical people. Just keep praying for me too in general and i i always pray for the audience at large because you've done you've been so nice to me and my family so i can't i don't have your faces or anything in my in my mind but if it's possible to send out blanket blessings i always try so promise you that much thank you again uh, Mr. Green Jean says, you're the best, Frank. Thank you, Mr. Green. Thank you all so much. And now I want to go over to open up some calls. We'll see how people are uh, are doing. It is already late in the game. It's 8.32. Remember, I have to do a badass still. So keep the calls nice and concise. Get your point out really quick. And uh, if you can, keep it on topic so that we don't have to do a mini show on the spot. That would be wonderful. We didn't have to do a mini, a mini uh, off-topic show on the spot. 914-595-6953. Uh, 914-595-6953. Hey, John from Connecticut. What's going on? John, turn off the turn off the radio. Turn off the radio. Hey. Hey, John. Okay. All right. Go ahead. You're totally spot on. You gotta be your own advocate in the hospital because they don't take care of you for nothing. My wife was in that Young Haven place, and they almost fucking killed her a couple of times. It's scary. John, you I'm know, glad you're, you, uh, you know, I'm glad your stepdad's doing better. I, I I thank you, John. And since you're from Connecticut, and obviously it sounds like you've been to Yale New Haven, I, I don't know when I don't know when the uh, the downturn started, but this used to be like the crown jewel of the of of New England. You, you know, you're going to Yale to get taken care of there. It was we we always were so confident, and suddenly everything. Everything is just—it's been—it's horrendous. The best place in the world to go to from anywhere. They would take the guy from like Iran over to there to fix him or whatever. We used to be uh, the best. I don't know what happened. It's not Frank. I don't know what to say. I'm—I appreciate you taking my call. I'm—I'm I'm fed up beyond belief from everything just cause. I'm trying to get through it. I tore up a ligament tendon thing, smashed my elbow, fucking bullshit. I got numb fingers, crap. I got wood I can't put up. I got a, a fixed income going on right now, and I do, you know, like bootleg income, hobby shop kind of thing, right? And it just sucks. But I'm pushing through because fuck it, because I got to let it get me down. Well, you know what, John? I, 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 everybody's got that cross, and everybody—it's all different size crosses yeah, there. But you know what? When you call in, I always know that even if you're angry, you're going to sound happy. There's just something about you. You always bring very good energy to everybody else. So, thank you for calling again. 
Hey, Frank, I love you, man. And uh, broccoli ain't bad, man. Makes you poo good, so that's a good thing. No, it's, I know. Right, good night. I know. <laughs> send, <laughs> I love it. Send my best to your wife, and thank you. Yes, I'm very happy that Aurora likes broccoli. And it's getting better, and even more. More? You want more broccoli? Yes. Yes. So we just load her up with more broccoli. Go ahead. Go ahead. Eat eat tons of broccoli. Ain't no empty calories there. She doesn't even like anything. Sometimes, you know, Lauren just seasons it lightly, maybe a little bit of oil, a little little bit of just a tiny bit of garlic or something like that, and she likes it seasoned, but otherwise she you don't need to get you don't need to do anything to it. She just destroys it. Good for her. Stem and everything. You know, when I was younger and somebody put broccoli in front of me, if I had to eat it, I'm just eating the green top and I'm leaving the stem behind. Then again, my grandmother, my mother's mother, and then subsequently my grandfather, when, when my grandmother passed away and it was just him that, was, that would cook for us from time to time, when they made bro- broccoli, I mean, they made a lot of things that, were, that was very, very tasty that I wish I can taste again. But when they made broccoli, they just steamed it and they threw it in front of your face. And every once in a while, maybe a bottle of Cheese Whiz would show up or squeeze cheese that you can put just a little bit of cheese on just to make it. But there's nothing worse than a mushy, a mushy stalk of broccoli. Steam or steamed or boy, whatever it is. Oh, man. Do you know what I love now? That I would never have loved ever if I if I kept eating it the way that my grandparents made it. Brussels sprouts. That's another thing that they just boiled or steamed. It came out mushy as shit. Mushy as baby shit. But now, I have these things diced up and they're sautéed and a little bit of broccoli in there. They're nice and crunchy. Sometimes Lauren bakes them a little bit and they just, they just oh, it's amazing. I, I can eat asparagus. Another thing. That should never come out floppy, floppy. Put some sea salt and some oil on that asparagus and bake it. What is wrong with you? You floppy asparagus, Brussels sprout broccoli people. Just like here, Lauren just just laughed. They just steamed it and threw it in front of your face. Like, yeah, here you go. It's broccoli. Eat it. No, it's not that easy. It's not that simple. You need to do something else to this damn thing. Just give me smush, mushy broccoli. I'm st- I'm still very I'm still very traumatized, as you can see. I have a lot of resentment I, I hold <laughs> in my heart. Six one four, you're on the air. Oh, hello. I'm calling from Australia. Oh, hello. What's going on, Australia? How you doing? I'm really well. Is it Frank? Yes, it is. Frank also on Dieta. I sent you a little email and I was so honored that I actually just wanted to say absolutely love your show and I so hope one day I can actually meet you guys and I pray for you and all your beautiful little family and um, I feel that we're part of your your beautiful little family. Well, let me tell you, uh, Australia has been, one, when you're talking about anything outside of the United States, I have had an easier time connecting with, and I have connected with many beautiful Aussies because 
Yeah. Uh, whereas I can be live on the East Coast in the United States, and it'll be way too early for somebody on the West Coast to be able to listen to me live because they're still working. It's three hours, three hours behind. You guys, it's mm-hmm. a it's a morning show for many of you out there in Australia. So, uh, out of all of the Europe, usually gets screwed when it comes to watching me live because. I'm at seven o'clock at night over here. It's usually one, two, three mm-hmm. in the morning over there. But I have had such a yeah. wonderful opportunity meeting a lot of Australians because of our time zone difference. And I and I uh, I love you all out there too. Oh, Frank Frankuto, I nearly ended up being a New Yorker myself. Um, but anyway, that's another another time. But uh, I I just I have this immense connection with you guys and. I really look forward to be able to send that first book to you for Little Aurora with all my heart. Oh, I, I, I appreciate you. I really do. Thank you so much for that. And and um, and, and you know what? Hold on. Let, I don't want to. I want to make sure that I can have you stored in here. What's your What's your first name again? How do you want it to be stored in the Skype? Well, up to you, Rosangela or Zieta, uh, as I am um, in the book. You said Angela? Um, up to you. Uh, Rosangela. R-O-S-A-N-G-E-L-A. Wonderful. I love that. Rosangela. That's the, you're the only Rosangela I know. And I appreciate you for the book as well. Um, you have no clue. Uh, Aurora will go up to Lauren in the morning. Lauren gets a, a little bit of an easier beat on the day. Um with, uh, with Aurora. I'm usually just an hour behind them. And or mm-hmm. maybe sometimes too, but Aurora will go and take a stack of books, and no book goes unread. She t- she takes a stack of books and she brings it up to Lauren every morning and demands that they all be read all the way through. And uh, I- I'm pretty sure that uh, yours has has definitely cycled through a few times. And I appreciate you. Thanks again from everybody. Uh, to send my best to everybody in Australia. Tell everybody in the country. I will as soon as we get the uh, the books launched and everything. Like I say, yours is the first book that I'm sending to, and it's you. And it's all about culture, tradition, history, and about our beautiful Italian culture. Um, and that's what I believe that we need to maintain and retain and carry forward those traditions. Well, I, and that's oh, what I'm hoping to do with the series. I, now you got me confused because I know that there. I, I thought now I'm thinking of the, I'm thinking of a book that it, it wasn't you. You hadn't sent me a book yet. You said no. I think okay. Um, darling, the the actual it's the proof. It's in for print. Okay. And, I thought um, it was. I sent you an email. I was really surprised you re- replied, and I thought, oh my gosh, the first one's got to go to Aurora. Well, I would love that. I would love that. You know, this audience is actually, uh, the people sent a lot of books, but, um, and like I said, all of them get read, but I know that there was at least one or two people in the audience that wrote and published books and they were absolutely stunning, especially the, uh, especially the artwork. So I can't wait to see what you send over, Rosangela. Thank you so much for the call. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And I sent you a little cover, copy, a quickly, a little uh, cover of sneak peek of the cover on the email so um yeah uh, on an email so yeah uh, i'm so surprised i'm so glad that i got on i can't believe it well i'm just letting you soak it up i i, I don't want you to you know i want you to get your 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 uh, your time's worth but thanks again and i'll we'll talk soon now i got you stored no worries at all. Thank you so much for Uncle and everything that you do all thank right. you be well there you go preserving italian culture
culture out there in Australia. And uh, for all of you Australians, we, we, I mean, we're all in the same boat. You're a little bit farther down the road we are, um, so I know that we're all praying for each other, but uh, you've definitely been the recipient of many prayers over the last year and a half. That's for certain. Uh, let's take a call. 440, you're on the air. What do you think about tonight's show and anything else? Hello. Hello. Yes, sir. Uh, you guys are talking about broccoli. I literally have a pot of broccoli on my stove in my camper right now. Oh, okay. So I'm cooking broccoli. How, how, it's, how it's are you going to prepare it? Are you just boiling it? I'm boiling it, and I'm going to put some butter on it, and I'm going to mow it down with my steak. i got a steak on the grill. I'm sitting on my property right now. I live in Cleveland, but i got a little piece of property out in the woods in Ashtonville, which is like a farm area of Ohio. I'm that sitting out in the woods right now listening to a show with my dog. I got a steak on the grill and I got broccoli in the stove in the camper. So are you just are you just listening to me through regular cell service or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm so you're in. Uh, yeah, I'm trying. You see, I love this this kind of a call or this kind of when I get emails like this too because I get to be able to really imagine this. We have a guy on the phone right now who is in the woods with just enough cell service to be able to listen to this show live. He's got the company of his trusty dog, man's best friend. He's got a steak yep. on the grill and he's got a little bit of broccoli being boiled, but it's going to be buttered, so it's not a total mortal sin. And you're going to have yeah. broccoli yeah. and steak. And that's amazing. I hope you have a wonderful yeah. night. And I got I got my Glock in my waistband and my rifle in the camper. I'm sitting by my pond. I'm listening to it, quite frankly. It don't get no better than this, man. I'm good to go. It sounds wonderful. If I'm I wasn't if I wasn't here, if I wasn't here right now, I'd love to have Lauren and Aurora with me sitting around that pond. That would be nice. That's uh, it's beautiful, man. Have a good show. All right, have Thanks, a good one. Thank you. Yes, there you sir. If anybody out there is in Cleveland and you're hungry, Find that pond. Take some of that boiled broccoli off his hands. That's nice. I wonder what he was drinking. Me, just some cold water. This is cold, crisp water. I wonder if he has one of those travel-sized Berkeys with him. He could put some pond water in there and still drink it. It comes out wonderful, apparently. I haven't tried it yet. I haven't tried it. I haven't feel, felt uh, compelled compelled enough. I have some of those life straws too. I have about five or six of those life straws that you can just, you can pretty much put the straw inside of a toilet and extract drinkable water. <laughs> Why not? You have a life straw. Okay. Um, 8.45. Let's go on a really quick break. When we come back, we've got a badass to do and then we're off for the night. I had something else I wanted to do, um, but I don't know. I don't think we have the time for it. Definitely don't, but it will fit perfectly into our mysterious nights and dangerous plots and all that stuff. Yes, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Jump down, jump down, and then say some fucking gay shit. I'm gay. <laughs> Quite frankly, listen live or download it and take it with you wherever you go while you're driving, walking, working, or fucking <laughs> dirty dog. For all things, go to quitefrankly.tv. You like what you see? Become a sponsor. Quite Frankly streams live weekdays at 7 p.m. Eastern wherever you get your podcast. So, for everything, it's quitefrankly.tv. I'm 60 fucking years old. I'm glad to be alive. All my buddies are dead, but hey, I'm alive, so it's good to be alive. 
you got Miami a wife, is, Yes, I do have a wife. We got divorced because, you know, after 9-11. Uh, what did 9-11 have to do with the divorce? Uh, nothing. Uh, anyway, <laughs> they're pulling, you know, another scammer. Come on, don't you feel it? We could live forever, dude. We have CRISPR. We've done uh, done the the, uh, the DNA, uh, and, and and there's people in Berkeley and also expanding life. But, you know, I don't want to talk about that. But I don't let, Hey, let's just be, have a good time. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I have some things I'd like to do. It's not like there's anybody going on after me. And it's 846, and I think we might be able to do it all. I have a couple more messages and emails that came in for me that I wanted to do tonight. Last night's movie, I want to just let everybody know, on Movie Mondays, just so you know what you're missing out on, Enemy of the State was the first movie we watched last night on QuiteFrankly.tv on Mystery Movie Mondays, followed by King of Kong, Fistful of Quarters. So... Maybe next week you hang out with us and have a good time. Here's a message from Stephanie. Stephanie says, Frank, can you wish my daughter Lexi a happy 24th birthday? She is stationed far away from me at Camp Humphreys, Korea. Lexi, be safe out there. Have a good time. Happy birthday. And call up your mother and tell her, I love you, Mom. Thank you for having me. Lexi in Camp Humphreys, Korea, 24 years old. So we have 24 and 25-year-old Dylan. Dylan! What else do we have? Mike, here's for, here's a message from Mike. Mike says, according to three different girls I follow on OnlyFans who live in Ukraine, there's no war going on and never was. As far as they can tell, nothing has happened or changed. Just thought I'd pass that along. Well, you know what, Mike? I, uh, I, I'd be more inclined to believe the only fa- the only fans' ethos than I would our domestic media. So I'm going to just take note of that, and we'll roll with it. <laughs> Three girls I follow on OnlyFans that can replace CNN. It really could. Um, let's see here. Hey, Frank, I was listening to Glenn Beck this morning, and in the second hour of... This is from Jake. In the second hour of his show, he mentioned that David Levette, the dude from Utah County, 
He mentioned him, not about the pedophilia, but about his corruption. Just thought you'd be interested to hear that. Cheers and God bless. Well, then I guess Glenn needs to do a little bit deep diving then. Glenn needs to talk to the Zell brothers. There you have it. Now, there's another little something that I want to show you because tonight's, tonight's show is called Open Secrets and Dangerous Plots. I think we've done a lot of that. But if you want a little bit of a throwback to an open secret here in New York, I think you should I think you should hear about this. I have two segments I want to show you. Two little segments of an old Intercept article from years ago. And what is it from? 2016, November 2016. It's called Titan Point. Do you know what Titan Point is? What is this big concrete windowless structure? It almost blends in with the night sky. It just falls away, and there's nothing that really brings any attention to it. Titan Point is the code name it was given. The NSA's spy hub in the middle of Manhattan, hidden in plain sight. You should know about this. I'm going to read you the first and last sections, and then maybe some pictures along the way. It's published on the, Inter the Intercept. You can read a little bit more on your own if you like. They call it Project X. It was an unusually audacious, highly sensitive assignment to build a massive skyscraper capable of withstanding an atomic blast in the middle of New York City. It would have no windows, 29 floors with three basement levels, and enough food to last 1,500 people two weeks in the event of a catastrophe. But the building's primary purpose would not be to protect humans from toxic radiation amid nuclear war. Rather, the fortified skyscraper would safeguard powerful computers, cables, switchboards. It would house one of the most important telecommunication hubs in the United States, the world's largest center for processing long-distance phone calls, operated by the New York Telephone Company, a subsidiary of AT&T. The building was designed by architectural firm John Carl Warnecke, and associates whose grand vision was to create a communications nerve center like a 20th century fortress with spears and arrows replaced by protons and neutrons laying quiet siege to an army of machines within. Construction began in 1969 and in 1974 the skyscraper was completed. Today it can be found in the heart of Lower Manhattan at 33 Thomas Street, a vast gray tower of concrete and granite that soars 550 feet into the New York skyline. The brutalist structure, still used by AT&T, and according to the New York Department of Finance, owned by the company, is like no other in the vicinity. Unlike the many neighboring residential and office buildings, it is impossible to get a glimpse inside of 33 Thomas Street. True to the designer's original plans, there are no windows and the building is not illuminated. At night, it becomes a giant shadow, blending into the darkness. Its large square vents emitted a distinct dull hum that is frequently drowned out by the sound of passing traffic and wailing sirens. I really do believe that this was used as an establishing shot in the beginning of, in the beginning of um, Twin Peaks Season 3, 25 to 25 years later. I have to rewatch that again. And I have to check it out, especially that dull hum. Maybe they built it right on top of a gigantic energy. I don't know. Just a vortex. Maybe it's a, a big portal. 
For many New Yorkers, 33 Thomas Street, known as the Long Lines Building, has been a source of mystery for years. It has been labeled one of the city's weirdest and most iconic skyscrapers, but little information has ever been published about its purpose. It's not uncommon to keep the public in the dark about a site containing vital telecommunications equipment, but 33, 33, never forget that, Thomas Street is different. An investigation by The Intercept indicates that the skyscraper is more than a mere nerve center for long-distance phone calls. It also appears to be one of the most important National Security Agency surveillance sites on U.S. soil, a covert monitoring hub that is used to tap into phone calls, faxes, and Internet data. Documents obtained by The Intercept from the NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden do not explicitly name 33 Thomas Street as a surveillance facility, however... Taken together with architectural plans, public records, and interviews with former AT&T employees conducted for this article, they provide compelling evidence that 33 Thomas Street has served as an NSA surveillance site codenamed Titan Point. Inside 33 Thomas Street, there is a major international gateway switch, according to a former AT&T engineer, which routes phone calls between United States and countries across the world. A series of top-secret NSA memos suggest that the agency has tapped into these calls from a secure facility with the, within the AT&T building. The Manhattan skyscraper appears to be a core location used for a controversial NSA uh, surveillance program that has targeted the communications of the United Nations, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and at least 38 countries, including close U.S. allies such as Germany, Japan, and France. It has long been known that AT&T has cooperated with the NSA on surveillance, but few death, a few details, few deaths, I'm sure there's few of those too, a few details have emerged about the role of specific facilities in carrying out the top-secret programs. The Snowden documents provide new information about how the NSA equipment has been integrated as part of AT&T's network in New York City, revealing in unprecedented detail the methods and technology agency uses to vacuum up communications from the company's systems. Here's the last part. Yet this is more proof, this is a quote, this is more proof that our communication service providers have become whether willingly or unwillingly, an arm of the surveillance state, said Elizabeth Gautien, director, co-director of the Liberty and National Security Program at the Brennan Center for Justice. Quote, the NSA is presumably operating under authorities that enable it to target foreigners, but the fact that it is so deeply embedded in our domestic communications infrastructure should tip people off that the effects of this kind of surveillance cannot neatly be limited to non-Americans. The NSA has declined to comment for this story. And here's the, uh, some, some pictures of everything. Let me see. Now this is, that, that's one hell of a shot right there. You can kind of see it's just a, it's a void. Considering how everything around it has lights and life inside of it. It almost looks like a concrete hard drive. With a few gigantic, uh, satellite dishes on top. You see the Chrysler building in the background, the um, Empire State Building in green. So, just incredible. And there's a lot more on this we can talk about. Me and Rob have talked about this this particular building in the past on the show. But I wanted to bring it back up because I was reading through it again. And I want to actually go by and take a look at it. I still have not driven by. Maybe soon. Maybe soon. Operation Titan Point. 
open secrets. They all know it's there, but what the hell goes on inside? All right. Uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. Thank you to everybody that's still sending cookies and wonderful, great uh, contributions to me on Foxhole, Witchy Poo, Mazington, Sean Joe, Just Because, EO. Thanks for the skip update. Jay Brewskies, Mr. Green Jeans. You guys are great. I'm releasing the scratching for you all right now. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you to Sicily is me. Frank, love your show. You're much appreciated. Sicily is me. That is on Rumble. Thank you so much, Sicily. Wonderful to have you out there. Really is. And over on to, quite frankly, superchat.com. That's Stostube having a good time. What, who is our badass for the night? Because we got to get out of here. Let's do that right now. 8.59. Let's release it. That's some badass shit. It's pretty badass. Yes, it is badass. Well, tonight, our badass is not even human. His name is Siwash. I think it's Siwash or Siwash or Suwash. I found so many different pronunciations for it. It doesn't even make sense. But Siwash, an unsung hero of World War II. It's a duck. A duck. The duck, Siwash unofficially joined the United States Marine Corps in 1943 after Sergeant Pappy Fagan won her in a poker tournament at a tavern in New Zealand. According to a Marine newspaper, the duck was named after Sergeant Jack Siwash Cornelius of Skagit County, Washington. Siwash was, would accompany Fagan everywhere he went and quickly became the unofficial mascot of the 2nd Marine Division. The Marines also loved feeding her beer. She won't touch draft beer, though, Fagan told the United Press, and it's got to be warm beer the way it was in New Zealand. Her drinking prowess aside, Siwash's bravery was also admired by the Marines, who claimed the duck would, quote, jump in a foxhole the minute the Marines leap, according to the AP. As colony, uh, colony, as Colonel, Colonel Presley M. Rixley, Rixey, uh, joked to the Chicago Tribune in 1944, quote, we valued him too much to have to eat him. Besides, we have no sliced oranges to serve with him. You, you need to have oranges with duck. Most of the Marines assumed Siwash was a drake or he duck, although she later, uh, she later surprised them by laying an egg. So it was not a he-duck. It was not a drake. It was a chick-duck. Laid an egg right in the middle of war. Had to do her business. When the Marines stormed the beach during the Battle of Tarawa, the duck followed. And the moment her webbed feet hit the sand, she began looking for a fight. Immediately, Sawash locked eyes on a Japanese chicken and ran in pursuit, and the birds engaged in combat. Sawash took a few hard knocks to the head, but kept fighting until, according to most accounts, she defeated the enemy foul. As Fagan told the AP in 1944, quote, The rooster didn't have a chance. Was it a rooster or a chicken? I guess it doesn't matter. After the battle, talk spread of giving Sawash a purple heart. In the end, she was awarded this citation, quote, for courageous action and wounds received on Tarawa in the Gilbert Islands, November 1943, with utter disregard for his own personal safety, her own personal safety. 
Siwash, upon reaching, reaching the beach without hesitation, engaged the enemy in fierce combat, namely one rooster of Japanese ancestry, and though wounded on the head by repeated pecks, he soon routed the opposition. She, she refused medical aid until all wounded members of her section had been taken care of, end quote. Siwash accompanied Fagan back to the United States in late 1944 and was given a hero's welcome, which included two radio broadcast appearances, a luncheon in her honor, and all the beer she pleased. After the war, Siwash took up residence at Chicago's Lincoln Park Zoo, where she stayed until her death until 1954. Wow. That's one hell of a run. Her body was stuffed and presented to the National Museum of Marine Corps. So, uh, okay, so... Body, her body's still around. Wow, I thought they were finally going to eat her. Through all those years, we finally have a chance to eat her. They didn't do it. They preserved her. Hopefully it was a good taxidermist. Tarawa. How do you say Tarawa or is it Tarawa? I said him several times, so it's probably horrible. You know what? The It's a big world. There's a lot of weird names out there. Exotic names, I should say. Not weird. It's very, very commonplace for someone who's not me. But anyway, hats off to Siwash. Hats off to everybody at home. I'll see you tomorrow for the Wednesday night show with Chris Ann Hall. We'll see what we'll do in the second half. And uh, and cheers. Cheers and wonderful sleep. Nighty night. No? I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is film of a live studio audience. And now our super chatter, starting with Stostube, Genuine Patriot, Sandy Smiles. Thank you to Todd Fife on Rockfin, my wonderful friends on Rumble Rants, including Sicily is Me and Selling the Farm. And Pilled, well, the scratching has already been released. I hope your itches have been scratched, and I will see you tomorrow. Good night. Share the show with your friends and become a sponsor, please. I'll talk to you soon.